You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. You can still use our exclusive promo code right now, guys. This is for you guys, listeners of the Glory UGA podcast. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code UGA, and all new users will get their first deposit doubled. No questions asked immediately double your first deposit. So go ahead and take advantage of this promo right now. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. I am your host, Tyler, and it's time to take a deep dive into the 2022 edition of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. And I missed this last week, guys. It is nice to have a bye week, a little bit of a, a lower key week, because during game weeks, things are flying 100,000 miles an hour for us here at the Glory UGA podcast, which we love. We love that. But I really did. I missed having a game to dive into. It felt weird. You know, we wait all year for this for college football, and every game, for me at least, is just, it's precious, man. It's precious. So I am pumped to be back at it this week. And I think you guys know the drill by now. Even the listeners who found us this year, this season, I think you guys have figured out how we do these game preview episodes. I have uh, our countdown that we're going to go through today. We've got five names to know, four stats that matter, three questions, two game plans, and one key to the game. And I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Let's go ahead and dive right into this thing. Our first name to know, you guys know, Typically, we start with the quarterback position, no exception this week, and we're going to start at the top with quarterback Anthony Richardson. If you have paid even like passing attention to the college football world this season and, and in the offseason as well, you know that name. Even if you haven't really watched Florida play all that much, you know the name Anthony Richardson because after week one, when Florida upset Utah at home, a top 10 Utah team at the time, we were all told that Anthony Richardson, I mean, he, he's the Heisman favorite right now. He's probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. Well, fast forward six or seven weeks, a month and a half later, and uh, yeah, not so much anymore. That's not the storyline at this point. I told you guys after that game, like, yeah, he had a good game against Utah, but is that 
the real Anthony Richardson, because I mean, he's up and down. He was that last year. He's more down than up last year. He's been more down than up this year. He has the ability to make those kind of plays, but that's just not who he's been consistently, and that has continued to be the case throughout this season. If you look at his numbers right now as a passer, he is completing 56% of his passes for 195 yards a game, only six touchdowns to seven interceptions. That's never a good sign, right? You never want to have that that second number higher than the first number. You want more touchdowns than INTs. It's about as basic as it gets. We know that. And yes, he was good against Utah. He was. You can't discount that. You can't take that away from him. He was a big part of why they won that game. Now, Utah missed some opportunities, but hey, Anthony Richardson played well in that game. Give the guy some credit. But the reality is he hasn't been good since then. He's been okay at times, but he really hasn't been good. I mean, yeah, he did throw for 450 against Tennessee a couple weeks back. But who doesn't, honestly, against Tennessee? I mean, you guys watched the Alabama game, and they were throwing the ball all over the field against Tennessee, and that was a Bryce Young banged up in a hostile environment. But regardless, putting up 450 against a Power 5 opponent, a Power 5 opponent that's actually undefeated right now, that's, you know, that's solid. That's something good, right? But he still only completed 54% of his passes in that game. He had, he had a bunch of big plays in that game. They had some explosive plays that really racked up those yards, but he wasn't consistently good down-to-down, which is kind of the story for Anthony Richardson, and then he was just terrible against Kentucky that the week right after they beat Utah, and that's when he really started to come back down to earth, and the next week against South Florida at home, a game they almost lost, he was terrible again, he was really, I would say borderline terrible against Missouri, and not quite terrible, but bad against LSU, he had two good plays, he had a long about 52-yard touchdown pass, and an 81-yard touchdown run in that game against LSU, but outside of that, he was bad. And that is Anthony Richardson in a microcosm. That that LSU game, it really was. That's who this guy is. He has this incredible athleticism and the ability to make these wow plays that leave your jaw just on the floor, but he can't do that consistently. He has not to this point in his career. He is alternately marvelous and abysmal. That's who Anthony Richardson is. He's the ultimate up and down football player at the quarterback position. But he can make plays, and he has made plays, and he has the ability to be accurate at times. He's just wildly inconsistent. I think a big part of that is his confidence issues. I really believe this guy has confidence issues. If you watch him play when things are rolling and he gets off to a hot start, you know he feels good about himself. He's kind of feeling. He gets hot out there. He gets kind of streaky at times. But when things start to go sideways for him a little bit, especially early in games, you can just see it in his face. He kind of his body language. He hangs his head. He kind of hangs his shoulders, and I think it it kind of snowballs on him. But he is a very talented guy. I mean, physically, I mean, he is an absolute specimen. And he's got a great arm. He's not always accurate with that arm. But he has a very strong arm. Obviously, we know what he can do with his legs in the run game. And when he's given easy reads, he can hit some of those throws if he's given time. But the offense does have to be simplified for him. So he's a playmaker at times, but he's also a guy that kills his team at times. So what Anthony Richardson do you get? Who knows? We'll find out Saturday. And honestly, even when the game kicks off on Saturday, he he's a different guy from drive to drive, play to play. There's just no consistency with him. So we'll see how that plays out. But he's certainly the first name to know for this Florida Gator football team. And the second player to know, actually, we're going to go for a two-for-one special here. I don't want to call it a two-headed monster. They're not that good. They're not good enough to be called a two-headed monster, but it's a nice duo, I guess is how I would phrase it, for Florida at running back. Their top two guys, Montreal Johnson, who's a transfer from Louisiana, came over with Billy Napier, and Trevor Etienne. You might remember that name, Etienne. Yes, he is the younger brother of Travis Etienne, a former Clemson fame, now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
And this is their one-two punch. Montreal Johnson's the top guy coming over from Louisiana. Good year last year as a freshman. He's got 425 yards rushing right now. A very nice 7.2 yards per carry, seven touchdowns. Etienne is a true freshman. 53 carries, 334 yards, three touchdowns, 6.3 yards per attempt. Etienne's body is a lot like DeAndre Swift. He's a shorter guy, but not small. He's not small. He's just short, just like Swift was. I mean, DeAndre was like 5'9", about 210. Etienne's 5'9", about 215, so a very similar body type. Um, he's got he's got shiftiness like DeAndre Swift. I think he's a similar player to DeAndre Swift. Maybe not quite the top-end speed that DeAndre had, but he's got a similar physical profile. And Johnson, he's a he's a guy that, that runs with a lot of power. He's a tough runner. I like his running style. He's not a breakaway guy necessarily. No, he, can, he can hit some big explosive runs, but he's not necessarily a burner. Really what helps both these guys, honestly, is Anthony Richardson's ability to run the football. It opens up a lot of room for them, and it creates conflicts for defenses and has their eyes in the wrong spot. They're able to do some option stuff off of that. So that certainly helps them and helps their yards per carry average. But they're two good solid backs, not a two-headed monster by any stretch of the imagination, but a good solid SEC duo, duo that we have to be prepared to defend. And then a receiver... They don't have any standout receivers, guys. I, I didn't want to go with a receiver. I really didn't. But the options were kind of limited, to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't think there were a ton of major playmakers for this Florida team. I want to go with maybe three defenders, but there weren't enough guys on the defense side of the ball that I really felt strongly about. There's two that I felt like we needed to talk about, but not really a third one that I felt deserved that. So I went with their top receiver here, because when Anthony Richardson is trying to hit big plays in the passing game, his go-to guy is... Is a transfer from Penn State. He's been around in Gainesville for a couple of years now. His name is Justin Shorter, tall, physical wide receiver. Not an ex- not a, like an explosive player in terms of like home run speed, but he's got a really really high catch radius. He's the guy they want to take some of these vertical shots to. He's got 18 catches on the year for 405 yards. And that is a 22 and a half per catch average and two touchdowns. He was a guy. He was the recipient of the. 52-yard, I want to say it was 52-yard, 51, 52, something like that, that uh, on the first drive, that touchdown pass from Anthony Richardson against LSU got them off to a hot start, and things kind of got away from him later on in that game, but he is a big play threat, but he's kind of like Richardson. He's not a complete player. He is a guy that comes and goes, and he doesn't consistently make those type of plays, but he can. It's, again, just like Richardson, he can make those plays. I've seen them. You've seen the wow plays, the flash plays but he doesn't do it on a consistent basis. There's not that polish there um, at the receiver position, but he is their guy. If they're going to try to hit big plays in the passing game. He's the one that they are going for. And on the defensive side of the ball, got two players to watch here. The first guy is the best player on the defense, maybe the best player on their team, at least the most consistently good player on their team, and that's interior defensive lineman Jervon Dexter. Um, really, guys, what he brings you is size, and athleticism at the interior defensive line spot. He's kind of like their version of Jalen Carter. Not as good as Jalen Carter, not quite that level of top-end talent, but a a highly talented guy on the interior as well, a former five-star prospect himself. And he certainly has the ability to be a disruptive force on the interior. He's good against the run. He can also give him a little pass rush. He's got that twitch and athleticism from that spot. So he's a guy that we certainly have to have a game plan for. I do think he's their best defensive player. And then the final name to know here is a name that we all know very well because once upon a time, he did don the red and black. And that, of course, is edge rusher Brenton Cox. And you guys know how I feel about Brenton Cox. I've made no secret about that. I've been very open on this show for years now, especially this season. I've been very vocal about him. I think Brenton Cox is one of the, if not the most selfish players I've ever seen. He is all about Brenton Cox. He's a really talented player. 
All right, I think he's got some stiffness in his hips, but he's got a really explosive first step off the ball as a pass rusher. Um, he's got he, he uses his hands well. He uses his hands well as a pass rusher. He's got some nice moves in that bag, but um, he hasn't been as productive this year. I mean, I know we're only a little bit more than halfway through the season, seven games in, but he's got eight tackles for loss, two sacks, solid numbers. But last year, I mean, he, he had a good year last year, 14 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks, and he has not had that kind of impact to this point in the season. And for a guy that spent as much of the offseason talking as he did, and it's not anything new for him, he's done that his entire career, for a guy that spends as much time talking about himself and how great he is as opposed to how great his team is, you think those numbers would be a little bit better. But he has not quite lived up to the hype that he's set out for himself. But he is a guy that... Regardless of what the numbers look like this year, and regardless of how selfish he plays, he is capable of being disruptive and making plays because he has that kind of skill set, that kind of athleticism. And you know, obviously, this is the game. This is the game this guy has had circled. Now, does that mean he plays more discipline and more within the system? Maybe. I don't know. I, what does he care more about? Does he care more about making a, a splash against Georgia and, and him being the guy that made the sacks and like putting his name out there? Or does he care more about Florida winning? What does he think is going to be the best way to get back at Kirby Smart in our program for, um, I mean, let's be real. I know he likes to say that he just transferred and left, but he was, um, he was told to leave. Let's just put it at that. So what is his best way to get back at us for that? Is it him putting up numbers? Is it his team winning? I don't know. Just going off what I've seen from him, I would lean towards saying, he probably thinks that's him putting up big numbers. And even if they lose, like he's like, man, I, I had two sacks. I had three sacks. I don't care. I did my job. And that's probably the, the route he will take. I don't know. But this is going to, like, we'll get his best effort, right? We're going to get his best effort. So just know that coming in, that's going to happen. But we also got his best effort last year. And, you know, what good did that do? But yeah, those are my five names to know on this Florida Gator football team. Of course, as with every team, there's more than just five players you probably should know about, but those are the top five. If you wanted me to boil it down for you, those are the guys, quarterback Anthony Richardson, running backs Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, so that's a two-for-one special. There's technically six guys this week, but we'll call it five. Uh, Justin Shorter, wide receiver, defensive lineman Jervon Dexter, and edge rusher Britton Cox. And guys, obviously I have a ton more to run through in this matchup. Before I move on, I do want to quickly remind you guys about my bookie. I told you guys at the outset of the episode, it is not too late. Go ahead, guys. Take advantage of it. We're just coming off the bye week. We got five weeks of regular season, all the bowl season left, championship week left, a lot of football left to be played. I mean, the NFL goes all the way through, what, February? College basketball is about to start up, so there's a lot of money to be made out there, and my bookie is the sports book that's going to help you do that. It's very simple, guys. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA if you're a brand new user, and whatever that first deposit is, it doesn't matter how big or small it is, whatever your first deposit is, whatever you feel comfortable with, always bet responsibly, whatever you feel comfortable with, they are going to double it. So if you've been one of those guys who's on the fence, once upon a time that was me, it's like, should I do this? Do I trust these sports books? And the answer is, Yes, I do. Trust me, guys. My bookie is the one I trust. I've tried different ones. My bookie has been hands down the best option. They've been so good to me over the years. Easy deposit options, easy payout options, the best lines, the best betting options, anything you want to do, they can help you with that. So make sure today, guys, take advantage of this promo while you can. They've been gracious enough to extend it through the rest of the college ball season. Again, that's mybookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA for new users, and you get a 100% bonus on that first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's keep this train rolling. So we had this bye week, and I've had a little bit extra time to prepare for this episode because of the bye week. Now, we did still run four episodes last week, so it wasn't like I was completely off, but I had a little spare time to try to dig a little bit deeper on some of these numbers. So yes, technically, the next category here are four stats that matter. I've got a little bit more than four stats for you. Is that okay? Is that cool with you guys? I hope it is. I hope it is. I think it is, but just want to let you know ahead of time, there's going to be a little bit more than four stats. I know that kind of defeats the uh, the plan here, the countdown, but we'll still call it four stats as matter because some of these stats, I'm kind of, I'm merging them together because they're kind of in the same vein. They kind of match together. So let's start at the top here. Florida guys, right now, you know, as much as we like to beat up on Florida, they are four and three. They're not a very good football team. But they are good at one thing, and that is running the football, which makes sense when you consider the personnel, right? Anthony Richardson, a dual-threat guy, quarterback who's more dynamic with his legs than with his arm, don't really have a ton of playmakers at wide receiver, has some good solid running backs. It makes sense. That's probably what they're going to lean on. That is exactly what they've leaned on all year. They're currently averaging 6.38 yards per rush. They're stat number one now along with it. I told you, there's a couple more than four here. So 6.38 yards per rush, guys. Not only is that number one in the Southeastern Conference. It also happens to be number one in the entire United States of America. So when I say they want to run the football and they run it very well, I mean it. They run the ball very well. Again, as you can imagine, with the personnel that they have to operate of. And I have to give Billy Napier credit. He looked at his roster. He looked at his players on offense and said, huh, what do, what do we do well? What do we not do well? What we don't do well is throw the football. We don't got the receivers for that. We don't have the quarterback for that. We got some good running backs, got a solid offensive line, a veteran offensive line. We've got a, a dynamic runner at the quarterback position. So let's let's do that. And they've done that. I'll give Billy Napier credit. And they've done it as well as anyone in the country. They're also fourth nationally in EPA, expected points added per rush. Again, this is what they want to do. And this is going to be our first real test as a rush defense. And we've played some teams that run the ball well. I, I, Kent State runs the ball well. They're a really good rushing team. But it's also a group of five team. They don't have the personnel. I mean, Florida doesn't have great personnel, but it's SEC caliber personnel, at least mid-tier SEC caliber personnel compared to G- G5 personnel, right? So this, I think, is the first true rushing test. I know Auburn has a great running back, 
in Tank Bixby, but their inability to throw the ball whatsoever really, really makes it difficult for them to run the ball, as we saw in that game a couple of weeks ago. But I think this might be the first like true legitimate test for our rush defense. And I, you guys know, we'll talk about this a little bit more later in the show. I was pretty open about my concerns about our ability to be as dominant against the run this year in the preseason, and we have been good. We haven't been as dominant, which is kind of what I expected, but we also haven't fallen off a cliff, again, kind of what I expected, but I'm very interested to see how we respond to what I think is going to be our first real test against one of, if not the best rushing attacks in the country. I mean, statistically, you look at number one nationally in yards per rush, number four nationally in EPA per rush, I mean, you can make the argument that they might not be number one, but you can certainly make the argument that they are the best rushing attack in America. They're very, very, very close. In terms of like non-triple option teams, they're certainly in that conversation. So that is what they do well on offense, and we're going to have to have an answer and be ready to play a physical brand of defense to take them out of what they want to do offensively. Sticking with the Florida offense, here's something else they also do well. They are number three in the SEC and fifth nationally in yards per play offensively, not just yards per rush, but yards per play on offense. They're averaging 7.20 yards per play. Now, we're a little bit higher. We're averaging 7.26. I mean, Tennessee guys, everyone talks about how great Tennessee's offense is, 7.51 yards per play. So the Gators aren't that far off from Tennessee, and they're right there behind us in terms of yards per play offensively. But here's the thing. Here's another stat that kind of goes with this. I'm marrying these two stats together. So yeah, they're number three in the SEC and fifth national yards per play offense. That's really good. That's awesome. You got to give them credit there. But... Take a little closer look at this. They are only 10th in the SEC and 95th nationally in first downs per game, which is why they're only 9th in the SEC in scoring offense. It's weird, right? So you average 7.2 yards per play, top five nationally, but you're only 9th in your own conference in scoring offense. Huh, how does that work? So when you look at these two stats in conjunction, when you marry them together, what this tells me is that yes, Florida absolutely has explosive capabilities. And a lot of their points are also generated off of explosive plays. And that without those explosive plays, they are having a very hard time consistently stringing together those methodical long drives. In a nutshell, they are explosive but not efficient. They're not really keeping drives alive with first downs, moving the ball down the field. They just hit some explosive plays here and there, which makes sense. Again, Anthony Richardson, he has that playmaking ability. Justin Shorter has that playmaking ability. Those guys just don't do it consistently. They don't do it from down to down. But one drive here, one drive there, they can hit these explosive plays, and so that really inflates their yards per play numbers, but they're not able to consistently move the chains. And I think that's important because what that tells me in this game is we have to do whatever we can to limit those big plays, which has always been a priority for Kirby Smart. And it's something that I have always personally been a big believer in. I've I've always believed strongly that defensively, if you can take away your opponent's ability to generate big plays and force them to drive their way down the field consistently and string together those long drives that you're going to win far more football games than you lose because somewhere on the way, the odds are they're going to make a mistake that's going to derail the drive. Now, sure, sometimes they can put together a you know a 8, 9, 10 play drive and, and score a touchdown, get a field goal, but are they going to be able to do that consistently? You have to challenge them to do that consistently. And with Florida, with this Florida team, with the way they're built offensively, that is going to take on an even greater level of importance in this game. So I think that's huge. And something we got to watch for, limit those big plays. I think Florida's going to have a really, really hard time scoring any points if we can do that. And then the next stat that I have here that matters is 
our third down conversion rates. Right now, guys, I know that we've been frustrated at times over the past month or so with our offense, but one thing that we have been consistently good at is converting third downs. We are number one in the league, guys. Number one in the SEC in third down conversions. We are converting 52.3% of our third down opportunities on offense. That's fantastic, guys. I mean, if you're converting over 50% on third downs, that's you're going to win a lot of football games, and that's a big reason why we are 7-0 and our offense has, has been very good for us this year. Then on the flip side, where, where is Florida defensively? Well, the Gators just happen to be sitting there dead last in the SEC in third down defense, giving up conversions on 52.5% of their opponent's third downs. You guys know, I'm not a math guy. Not a math guy. I own that. But even I can do that math. If you do the math there with the averages, it's fair to predict that we're going to convert somewhere in the range of 50% of our third down opportunities against Florida. If you look at how the odds are going to play out and how the averages are with our third down offense and their third down defense. And if that happens, if we're converting in the range of 50% of our third downs, good night, Gators. Let's just hope those trends continue on for at least another week. And then finally, we're going to call this our fourth stat that matters. But again, it's two stats that kind of are married together here. And I know this is going to seem out of left field. And you'll be like, why does this matter? But it does. It does. Guys, Florida is only hitting 55.6% of their field goals right now. That's their field goal percentage. We don't talk enough about special teams. And when I say we, I mean me. I don't talk enough about it on this podcast. I really don't. I always feel bad about that, but I'm going to talk about it here. Because special teams can absolutely win and lose you football games. I mean, think back to the Alabama-Tennessee game a couple weeks ago, right? If Reichard for Bama makes that field goal, well, does Bama maybe win that game? I, I think they might. I don't know. But certainly they, they certainly wouldn't lose it in regulation, right? Maybe that maybe Tennessee plays it differently. I don't know. But you gotta wonder. You know, Mississippi State, I don't know how many of you watched the Mississippi State Alabama game last weekend. That one's just fresh in my mind. But Mississippi State once again has no field goal kicker. And that completely changed the complexion of that game with Alabama. If you watched that game, especially the first half of that game, Mississippi State was moving the ball on Bama's defense in the first half. And they were they were driving up and down the field between the 20s. We would get to the 20s, they would get stopped short on third down, be like fourth and one, fourth and two. They would go for it instead of kicking the field goal. And they just were not making those opportunities. They were not converting those fourth down opportunities and that kept them scoreless until the very end of the game. But they had chances to at least stay in that game and put some pressure on Bama, but they just don't have a field goal kicker and they just don't even try. They had one opportunity to kick a field goal and they missed it. And then from that point on, Leach is like, we're just not kicking field goals. And it's like, it is what it is, but it absolutely can win you and lose you games and can change the complexion of games. There's no doubt about that. And I think this could work to our advantage if we bow our necks in the red zone. So are they going to try, kick, try to kick field goals in the red zone? If so, I mean, it's almost like it's a coin flip. It's almost a 50-50 shot, right? Does that mean they're going to go for it on fourth down? Are we going to be able to stop them and, and create turnovers on downs there? It could work to our advantage if we really just kind of bow our necks in the red zone there. Now, what I imagine Florida is going to do in this game, I don't know, but this is speculation. It's kind of what we're doing. We're previewing a game, giving you my thoughts on what I think is going to happen. But I imagine that Florida and Billy Napier are going to come out with a similar approach as they did in the Tennessee game. If you guys watched that game, they went for it on fourth down consistently. Like basically anywhere on the field, didn't matter. They were going for it on fourth down. If it was like remotely close, fourth and one, sure. Fourth and two, yeah, absolutely. Fourth and three, yeah, probably. Fourth and four, why not? They were going for it, especially when they were in Tennessee territory. And I, I get it. You know, you don't have a good field goal kicker, not a guy that you trust. You're a heavy underdog. 
you have nothing to lose. Like, why not go for it? So I firmly believe that they're going to have that same mentality where they're going to come out, back since the wall, nothing to lose. Let's just throw the kitchen sink there, go for it on fourth down, see if we can create some big plays, put the pressure on Georgia. I expect that to happen. I think a big part of that is because they just aren't good kicking field goals. They don't have a guy they trust. And here's the stat that kind of goes with it. So obviously without a a kicker you trust, you're probably going to go for it more on fourth down than you otherwise would. That's what's happening here. And they are fourth in the league in fourth down attempts, but they're only ninth in conversion percentage on fourth downs, only converting 56% of those attempts. So all I'm saying is just be ready for that, guys. Be ready for Florida. Even when they get in the red zone, you think they're going to be kicking a field goal, be ready for them to go for it. Number one, because they don't have a kicker they trust. Number two, because their back's against the wall. And why not, right? Like, why not? No one expects you to win, so let's just go for it and see what happens. Because that's the exact same approach that they had against Tennessee. Okay, let's move on to our next category in the countdown here, and that's going to be three questions. My first question here, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. We're going to get a little more detail here. Who wins the heavyweight battle between the Georgia rush defense and the Florida rush offense? I mentioned earlier, I think you can at least make the argument. I think Florida's at least in the conversation as the best rushing offense in the country. That's at least what the statistics tell you, right? And this is a matchup of the fourth-ranked EPA rush offense versus the fourth-ranked EPA rush defense. This is a classic example of strength versus strength. Now, like I told you guys, we are not as dominant against the run this year. We're still really, really good against the run. We're still top 10 against the run, but we're not as good as we were last year, which of course we're not. No one expected that when you're losing guys like Jordan Davis in the middle of that defense, losing Vontae Wyatt. Jalen Carter's been out for most of the season. You're losing all those guys at inside linebacker. We're never going to be as good against the run, but we've been honestly better than I thought that we would be. I thought maybe we'd be in the top 20 somewhere. I was con- I had some concerns there, but we've been better, especially without Jalen Carter. But in this game, if you're potentially getting Jalen Carter back, we'll see. Knock on wood, I don't know that. I do not know that for sure. We'll see. I'm hopeful. I'm just hopeful. Don't know. But if we potentially get him back, that could be a big shot in the arm to our rush defense. He's a, just a different kind of dude. We don't have guys that can do what Jordan or what Jalen Carter does for us. And we have also handled similar offenses very well this year. And what I mean by similar offenses are offenses that run the ball well because they have a dynamic guy, quarterback position that can run the ball himself, whether it's Robbie Ashford, whether it's Bo Nix to a degree, um, Kent State as well. They have a, a mobile quarterback in Colin Schley. But make no mistake about it, this will be the biggest test for our rush defense. And we're going to find out just how good we are defending the run. Can we stop this Florida rushing attack with even numbers? If we can... That's huge. I think it's a big key in this game. If not, that creates more one-on-one opportunities for some of their guys on the outside. Anthony Richardson, I told you guys, he's not a great passer. But if you give him one-on-one opportunities and they give him long enough to throw the football, he can like alternately be really good. Like sometimes he can be good and he can hit those balls down the field. So you don't want to give him those big play opportunities. That's what's going to happen. If, if, they, if we cannot defend their run game with even numbers in the box, which is what we've made a living off of the past couple years when we've been so good against the run and we've been so good defensively in general, is we've been able to defend the run with even numbers and we're allowed to play coverage in the back end, keep two high safety shells, and that's helping us limit explosive plays. If they are able to force us to bring more guys in the box, roll safeties down, that's going to open up opportunities for them to hit some of those explosive plays, which is the exact opposite of what we want to happen in this game. So I think it's going to be a really, really critical part of this game, and that's certainly my first question for us to have to answer in this game. Second up, does Florida have an answer for Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington? I do not think that they do. 
I really don't. I don't think that their linebackers are athletic enough, especially not Ventrell Miller in coverage. He's terrible in coverage. We throw the ball in first and second down against them and get him matched up on Bowers or Washington. Game over for them. Amari Bernie is a little bit more. He's not a little bit more. He's a lot more athletic. He is their most athletic inside linebacker. And he's really developed a lot. This year, I think he's really kind of come on this year. He's a guy that's been a tweener. He played inside linebacker early early in his career, played a little bit of star, a little bit of safety at times, moved around a little bit in the, in the secondary. But he's now firmly back at inside linebacker. And I think he's working himself into becoming an NFL draft. He, he does have some athleticism there. He's the, he's one of the other guys I thought about putting in my, uh, my top five players to know, but he didn't quite make the cut there. But he's a good player. But the guy that you can really pick on, is Trey Dean. You guys probably remember that name years ago now in recruiting. And we were recruiting him. He wanted to come here. And we were like, nah, man. Like we just passed on him. He went to Florida. And he's been a guy that started at cornerback. Man, got burned there. Did not work out for him. Moved inside a star. Did not work out for him there. Now he's at safety because they're trying to they're trying to hide him, right? Like they don't have a ton of depth. And he's a veteran. He's been around for a while. So he, he's a guy they can kind of trust back there. But he is a liability in coverage. They're trying to hide him there at safety. So if we can find a way to create matchups with our tight ends and our running backs as well, or any receiver, basically any skill player, especially Bowers and Darnell against Trey Dean at safety, Ooh, man, I like our chances there. So that's a big question. Also, a secondary question there. Not only do we have to wonder, do they have an answer for Bowers and Washington, but will we feed them the ball? We know we like to get Brock the ball, but can we get Darnell some touches? Please, can we please get Darnell Washington some touches? I know I keep saying that, but I'm going to keep saying it until it happens more consistently because this guy needs touches. He's making plays every time he gets an opportunity to. And then finally, you guys have probably figured this one out by now. I've talked about it enough. But my third question for this game, can the dogs limit Anthony Richardson's playmaking ability with his legs? That kind of goes back to the first question there. Like who wins the heavyweight battle between our rush defense and their rush offense? So it's obviously Anthony Richardson's ability to run the football. And they do a lot of design QB run stuff with him. They'll do some quarterback power. They'll do some quarterback counter. They'll do some zone read. They'll do some bash stuff. They'll do all sorts of different things. They'll do some arc release stuff. All sorts of different things to get him the ball with design QB runs. But I'm going to take this a step further than just saying Anthony Richardson in the design QB run game. Because he can make plays outside the pocket in the passing game as well. You guys have seen this over the past couple weeks. Bryce Young made a living off of this against Tennessee and also against Mississippi State last week. Alabama does not have dynamic receivers, guys. I told you that in the offseason. I didn't think they did, and, you know, doesn't look like they do. But they're still making some plays, but that's primarily because Bryce Young is the one creating time for them to get open in the scramble drill. Those receivers are good in the scramble drill. You can tell they really work it at practice, but they're not consistently getting separation on their own. Bryce Young is having basically create separation for them by his ability to scramble and just evade the pass rush. And Anthony Richardson can do that too. He can hit some big plays off the scramble drill. You do not want to let that happen. Again, we have to limit big plays and limiting Anthony Richardson's ability to escape the pocket is a big part of that. So can we do that? Again, we've done a really good job of that, not just this year, but the past couple of years. So I imagine that we, we probably have a plan. I know we have a plan, but can we do it against an elite athlete? That's a question. We got to make sure that we're able to do that. And we are still not done, guys. We've got couple of game plans to go over. Got a key to the game to run through with you guys. But before we move any further, I do want to remind you about Alumni Hall. Now, if you're making the trip down to Jacksonville, you're probably not going to need all the fall apparel. Looks to be in the 80s. That's shorts and polo weather for me. But then we'll be right back at home the next week against Tennessee. Then we got to go to Mississippi State. Got to go to Starkville. Got to go to Kentucky. And man, it's going to be cold in Kentucky. It always, especially that time of year. And then of course, Thanksgiving week, we got Georgia Tech coming to town. So it's going to get cold, guys, and all the fall apparel is coming in right now. You've got Q-zips, you've got hoodies, 
Anything you need to stay warm, jackets, they've got it all for you guys. So make sure to check out all the new gear coming in at Alumni Hall inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com. And when you do find some stuff you like, it's, it's inevitable, guys. I cannot go to Alumni Hall without finding something that I like. So it's going to happen. So when you make those purchases, it's all good because you're going to get $10 towards future purchases for every $150 you spend with their Hall Pass Rewards program. There is no other retailer out there that sells Georgia gear that has anything like that so make sure to shop today at alumni hall because that is where the bulldog shop you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips now that's l-i-b-s-y-n-ads.com you're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, I'm back out of here. Let's go to our two game plans. And let's start with the offensive game plan. So, this is a Georgia offense versus the Florida defense. And you guys have heard me talk about this the past couple weeks, going back to the Auburn game, coming off the Missouri game. We have been taking steps towards getting back to our roots on offense. At least I think that we have. What I mean by that is kind of establishing that physical ground game as the basis of our offense. We're going to play action off that, taking some vertical shots, moving the pocket a little bit more. And I think this is the game against Florida where it's time to take that movement to the next level. We could be getting A.D. Mitchell back. I think we are going to get him back. We might get Kendall Milton back. But if not, Branson Robinson has been getting more and more opportunities. And you, you know, he's a guy that's really been developing as the season's worn on. You imagine during the bye week, we get a chance to kind of just work on ourselves a little bit, that he got even more work and he's looking even better and developing even more. So it might be more of a, of a part of the plan here in this game. And there's also this. I've already talked about the Georgia rush defense versus the Florida rush offense. Strength versus strength, right? Well, what I haven't talked about yet is the Florida rush defense. I was saving it for this. Well, guys, the Florida rush defense just happens to be the second worst in the league in terms of yards per game. You know, 185 yards per game and four and a half yards per carry. They are also 123rd nationally. No, I did not stutter there. 123rd nationally in EPA per rush. This is just a bad Florida defense in general. I mean, they're 119th nationally out of, what, 131 teams in defensive success rate. But again, 123rd nationally in EPA per rush. They are bad on defense in general, but they are worst against the run. That is where they struggle more than anything. So yes, their defensive weakness really fits well with the trends we've seen from this Georgia offense coming off that Missouri game where we only had nine rushing attempts in the first half of the game and couldn't move the football on the ground to save our freaking lives, right? And you guys saw what we did to the worst rushing defense in the league, which was Auburn, a couple weeks ago. 292 yards rushing, 7.5 yards per carry. By far our best day on the ground all year long. No questions asked. Well, if we were able to do that to 
Auburn, and they were the worst rushing defense in the league, and Florida's a close second worst defense in the league, then why can't we have similar success? Since Florida just makes too much sense, let's go ahead, and that should be our game plan coming to the game. Let's run the freaking football. Now, of course, we still have to keep them off balance and work the screen game as an extension of our run game, tax RPOs, those runs, and generally throw the football. Let's not forget, we still have not had a game this season where we have thrown the ball fewer than 30 times, and three times this year, almost half our games, we have thrown the ball over 40 times. But we still need to run the football early, run the football often. And specifically, where would I run the football? I would attack the edges. I mentioned Brennan Cox earlier as one of my players to watch. And yes, he is a talented edge rusher. But as I have said consistently for over a year now, he is incredibly undisciplined and incredibly selfish. He often takes himself completely out of plays by just, I mean, like wildly rushing upfield to get his. Because that's what it's about for Brennan Cox. It's about Brennan Cox. He wants to get his. And I also don't think that Ventra Miller is a great space linebacker. He's a good player, but he's a box linebacker. He's an old school throwback downhill linebacker. And I think that's where he excels. I don't think he's great in space. And that's also, you know, the middle of their defense is also where you see their best defensive player, Jervon Dexter. That's where he roams. So, I mean, you've got to mix in some inside zones, some duos, some things between the tackles, of course. But I would focus most of my attack on the edges. I think that's really where we can have a lot of success in this game against this Florida rush defense. And of course, once you establish a run, work play action off of that. That's what we had a lot of success with last year. You know, we've talked a lot about not having as much of a vertical passing game this year. What's well, because I believe that we haven't had as much of a play action threat. So I think working more of that into this could really benefit us in this game. I would t- target the tight ends early and often on standard downs when they'd still have Ventra Miller in the game. And I mentioned it earlier, guys, Trey Dean. Got to find him, target him, create ISO matchups on him. Munkin is a master at creating those favorable matchups. So yeah, target Ventra Miller, target Trey Dean, try to create favorable matchups against them because those are the dudes in pass coverage that we can win, I would say like 90 plus percent of the time against. We can win against those guys. So that is what I would do for an offensive game plan. Now defensively, it's always about making the offense play left-handed. I know you guys have heard me say that 5 million times, depending on how long you've been with the podcast and listening to us. I said that often because as a former defensive guy myself, yes, that was the game plan. You start with the, the broad contours of, okay, what do they do best? Okay, once we identify that, how do we take that away from them? How do we make them beat us with something else that they're not good at? That's what you do, right? So what does Florida do best? Obviously, they run the football. I've already laid that out for you guys. Anthony Richardson is probably the key part of that. Probably he is the key part of that. He is the engine of their offense for better or for worse. So I would imagine that we come into this game I know this sounds so simplistic, but I mean, why would you switch it up? I and mean, you make some a little bit a little adjustments here and there based on personnel, but I would come in with a very similar game plan that we brought into the Auburn game. And the reason I say that is because they are a slightly more talented version of Auburn. You know, Anthony Richardson, I would say, is slightly more polished as a passer than Robbie Ashford, but very similar in terms of their ability to hurt you with their legs, whether it's the design QB run game or a scramble game. Um, Justin Short and Ricky Persall, receiver, I would say are a little bit better than Auburn's wideout options, but not significantly. I, I would actually give Auburn the edge at running back with Bigsby. I think Keon Zipper, the, the Florida tight end, might be a little more talented than John Samuel Shanker, but he's not as productive, but really all in all, very similar offenses. These are two offenses, Auburn and Florida, that feature dynamic athletes at quarterback that can hurt you with their legs, but they, of course, as we know, struggle from the pocket. Also, these are two quarterbacks in Anthony Richardson and Robbie Ashford that are bottom three in the SEC in QB rating, passing yards, and 
touchdowns. So all I'm saying is this Florida offense, I would really equate them to an offense that we saw a couple weeks ago, that Auburn offense. I think there's a lot of similarities there. So why would you defend them all that differently? Now, the thing is, Florida probably realizes that too, right? They're looking at the Auburn game and saying, huh, yeah, like our offense works a lot like that offense. So how did Georgia defend this particular offense. So they saw that. I'm sure they're going to have some some ways to attack us based off what they saw in that Auburn tape and, and some counters to all of that. So we have to be prepared for that. We have to tweak some things ourselves. But the root concept, the philosophy of how we're going to defend Florida, I think has to certainly follow what we did against Auburn and what we do really against teams that have these type of offense. This is not the first rodeo. It's not the first time we face an offense like this. So how do we do this? I mean, let's just recap all things that we do. Well, we use a very disciplined pass rush with a linebacker that is mirroring the quarterback, spying the quarterback, however you want to phrase that. Now, we did not have Smile Mondin to do that against Robbie Asher in the Auburn game. So it looks like, knock on wood here, that he will be back in this game. And that's I think that's big for us in this matchup against Florida, Anthony Richardson, because Smile is our most athletic inside linebacker. I mean, Pop is an athletic guy. I think he he's he moves better than I thought he did coming into this season based on the limited sample size I saw from last year. I think he actually dropped a little bit of weight and got a little bit, a little bit better shape this year, but he's still not as athletic as Smile Mondin is. Ryan Davis is not even the same stratosphere of an athlete as 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 uh, Smile is, and Tresman is not as good of an athlete as as Smile is, and really not particularly close either. But he's been hurt. I don't know what the deal is with Tresman right now. But it's nice to hopefully have Smile back in this game to fill that role. I think he gives us the best chance to kind of take Anthony Richardson, I don't want to say out of the game, but limit those big play opportunities. And what having a guy like Smile Mondin back at inside linebacker to fill that that mirror, that spy role, what that really allows us to do is, is feel more comfortable playing man coverage, which is what we really like to do as much as we can. That physical, tough, in-your-face press man coverage allows us to do that without as much fear of the quarterback just taking off when every defender turns their back to them in coverage. I mean, guys, think about this. Like, you used to play instant play football, right? Or play Madden. You're playing man coverage, and you have a dual-threat quarterback, and everybody's... You, what do you do? You just run like Hail Mary, and you have everybody just run down the field. You have the quarterback just kind of run around in the in the backfield a little bit, and then once everybody gets far enough down the field, there's no defenders there watching the quarterback. So you just take off, right? Well, I mean, it's kind of like real-life football, too. And with a guy spying the quarterback like Smile Mondin, you can feel comfortable playing man coverage and having defenders turn their back to Richardson and Smile can still contain him and keep him from making those major plays with his legs. Now, Smile, has gotta, he's got to contain him and he's got to tackle him when he, when he breaks the pocket. But hopefully with Smile back, that certainly allows us to be able to do a little bit more of what we want to do with, from a coverage standpoint, which is, I imagine, which is what we typically do, is play more man coverage. Now, like anything, you can't play exclusive man coverage. You can't do anything exclusively because you get too predictable. So we're going to have to work in some zone stuff. And you want to make Anthony Richardson have to go through reads because he doesn't do that well. So you want to mix up some looks, play some matchup zone, play some cover three, play some man under, play some man free, do some different things. Out of quarters looks, do some palm stuff where you run that two trap look. Just mix things up and keep him off balance. Keep him guessing because, again, he's shaky with his confidence, guys. And if you if you can bait him into mistake, throw an interception here or there, the guy will start to go into a shell. He really will. He just loses his confidence, and he's like seeing ghosts out there. And that brings us to our final part of this deep dive into the Georgia-Florida game. My one key to the game this week, and as always, guys, I know I always say this, but I just I feel like I have to put this disclaimer out there. There's always more than one key to a game, right? There's never one thing that wins or loses a game. But if I had to pick one thing, that if we do this, we're going to win this football game, it's this. Start fast. I know that's so simplistic, but I think it fits in this game. Because let's think about the Florida mindset here, right? So I got some questions in the mailbag this week. Like, is George on upset alert? Like, how big of an upset alert should we be on? 
all of those things. And I understand that because, you know, I, I see the mindset of George might be looking past Florida and towards Tennessee and that potential big time top two or three matchup. I get all that, right? But, uh, you know, as we also point out, you know, Kirby Smart's a, a Gator hater, professional Gator hater, and he's not going to, I don't think he'll allow the team to do that. I think we have the right leadership. I think the Georgia Florida game means enough to our players for them to have their focus on this game. But there, I, I see why someone would think, oh, Georgia might not be 100% focused on this game. Well, Florida is, man. Florida is 100% focused on the, on this game. This is their Super Bowl this year, guys. And so I, I fully expect them to come out of the locker room in this game with an us against the world, nothing to lose mentality. Again, a lot like we saw against Tennessee where, yeah, they were the massive underdog. No one gave them a chance. And they're an even bigger underdog in this game. It's a bigger rival, a 22-point underdog as of right now. They're 4-3 and three on the year. They're not going to win the East. They're not going to go to the SEC Championship game. They're not going to make the college football playoff. I guess maybe they're kind of playing to get into a New Year's Day Bowl, maybe, possibly. But they've got nothing to lose. Why the hell not just go out there and throw the kitchen sink, do whatever, play your, play your guts out, play like your hair's on fire, and just see what happens against the number one team in the country who is still the defending national champion. I would be shocked if we get anything less than that from Florida in this game, at least coming out in this game. So starting fast for us is going to be critical because that is going to disabuse Florida of any notion that they could pull this upset. That hair on fire, us against the world, nothing to lose mentality could quickly turn into dejection and like, oh my God, here we go again if we start out and we get to a multi-score lead early in this game. Now, Dan Mullen's not their coach, so I don't know if they'll just quit like they have in the past. I have a lot more respect for Billy Napier than I did for Dan Mullen, so there's that. But still, if we got to an early lead and we just take the air out of their sails and kind of just bring them back down to earth early in this game... I don't think they have what it takes to mount that kind of comeback. I really don't. Now, we weren't able to do that last year. It was a pretty tight game for the first quarter and a half of that game, and then we put on the onslaught there late in the first half. But I would really like to see us use that bye week and come out with a great plan, which I, I feel that we will, and come take it straight to Florida. Be the hunters, right? Like Kirby said that during the offseason. We want to be the hunters. We don't want to be the hunted. Don't let Florida hunt us. Go hunt some freaking gators. And if we do that, I think we'll be all right. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you today. Charlie will be back with me Thursday night to wrap things up with our week nine picks of the week. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Charlie's got her little notebook, but I know I had a good week. And I think the picks I remember that she had that I was rooting for her on, I think she had a good week too. So I'll get all all those numbers for her. But I think we had a really good week last week, guys. A bounce back week from the week before. And I'll give you a bunch of winners. And we are going to do the exact same thing this week. So make sure to tune in there. Go ahead and sign up for your new account at MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA. But thank you for being here, guys. I appreciate it. I'm Tyler, screw Florida and the mule they rode in on, and as always, go dogs!